0: 2, Colossians 2, Colossians 2, and I'll be reading from the, uh, what am I reading from, New International Version. I was asked to read the whole chapter, so this isn't me that, so the Pastor Sim, he's going to make his sermon a little shorter, I think, So starting at verse 1, Colossians 2. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is a head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through, through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with his regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from which from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use, because they are based on human commands and teachings such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence the word of the lord thanks be to god
1: ryan thank you and so uh, i you know we've been talking about oranges and uh, florida during the course of the last few weeks, and a couple um, said to me that uh, they've actually been on holiday to Florida, and they've stayed in a place where there's all these orange groves and beautiful oranges, and they had orange juice freshly squeezed every morning for the time that they were on holiday. And as they headed back towards Canada, they decided to take a bag of a dozen oranges back. They wanted to have freshly squeezed orange juice when they arrived in Canada the following uh, morning or whatever. And so as they're driving back up from Florida... They had forgotten about the Canadian Border Agency, okay? Have you got anything on board, you know, that's uh, being, you know, fruit and vegetable and all the rest of it? And they thought, well, what should we do? And so they said, well, we can't say we haven't. When they've got a big bag of oranges on board, the lot were taken and they weren't able to have their orange juice. So it's not just because the machine's broken down that can stop you getting your orange juice. It's because other people decide that uh, you can't have these oranges. So thank you, Brian, for reading this uh, tremendous section of Scripture to us this morning. And I'm going to have to begin, as we did last week, by reminding you that um, the objective that we have is to be able to get out of the Christian life all of the rich juice that there is, uh, the sweet flavors that there are, if you like getting the juice out of the orange. And the man, who was surrounded by millions and millions of oranges, asked the waitress for a glass of freshly squeezed orange juice, and she says, I'm sorry, sir, you can't have it because the machine has broken down. I would have said, go and slice them up and give them a squeeze, but never mind, that was the answer that was given. And this is the experience that too many of us as believers, as people who call ourselves Christians, have. Often we look at other people's lives and we see exciting things happening in their life. And then we look at our own life and our own life is so dry and so barren and so empty. There's nothing that seems really exciting in terms of our relationship with God. And many times we've questioned ourselves, do I even hear the voice of God speaking to me? People have come along and asked me and they've said, you know, God never speaks to me. He seems to speak to everybody else in the congregation. But when it comes to speaking to me, there's absolute silence and I hear nothing I want to say to you that if that's the way you feel it is not because God is not speaking to you it is because you're not listening to him he speaks in many ways and we rejoice in that Uh, Colossians 2 verse 6 gives us the answer of course it does as you therefore have received Jesus the Lord so walk in him. And friends, I remind you yet again, this is probably the fourth week now, that we remind ourselves that when we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what did we do? Did we save ourselves? Anyone here save themselves? glad no one put their hand up. That would have been embarrassing. We can't. It is only God working through his son, the Lord Jesus, that enables us to, uh, to, uh, to come to him uh, in, uh, in faith. So, as you've received the Lord, so walk in him, and friends, that's it. Recognize, as I receive him, so I live in him on the basis of my own bankruptcy. Can't do it myself. Got nothing to give. And I turn and I trust in him. I can't, he can. Hallelujah. I can't, he can. I live under his lordship. The number of people, the number of believers who say, yes, I'm a believer, but Jesus isn't Lord in their life. He has to be Lord of our lives. We have to surrender all to him. It's the Lordship of Jesus, which is so important. I bring myself under the instruction of the word of God. Are you teachable? Are you prepared to listen? Are you prepared to learn? God is teaching and we need to be prepared to learn uh, from him. And I live in a spirit of thankfulness. What does being thankful mean? It means that you have accepted that somebody has done something for you. You're not thankful to people that don't do anything to you or for you. You say thank you because the person has helped and has done something for us. And so that, of course, is the position that we come to when we recognize our Christian faith, when we recognize that Jesus has done everything for us. And so these are the lessons that we have learned over the last few weeks. This is the genuine, authentic Christian living. It's touching the real money. We spoke about the fact that if you want to know how to spot a fake $20 bill... You need to handle the real thing first. You need to pick it up, feel it, give it a... Smell it, whatever. In the old days, money, American money still smells. Have you noticed that? Canadian money doesn't, doesn't smell like money as it used to. And so as we begin to recognize all of these real, authentic things in the Christian life, suddenly we begin to understand when pseudo-faith comes along, when a false faith comes along, when things that aren't real... They're purported to be real, we're told they're real, but when they come along suddenly, we know that there's a problem, because they are not as real uh, as we uh, perhaps led to believe. Uh, We recognize true faith, but sadly, as we began to see last week, this pseudo-faith, this false faith, and it's everywhere, let me just say to you, it's everywhere, Okay, it's subtle, you don't know it immediately, perhaps, but I'm warning you it is terribly dangerous. And last week, we spoke of legalism. The problem is when the law of God only works on the outside, yes, we hope it's going to try and work its way in because all this does, and some of us, I've had a number of people who've spoken to me about this. And said, I'm worried that I'm just house-trained. Well, I'm glad you're house-trained. But you're right to be worried. Because we don't just want to be house-trained Christians. People that come in, say the right things, look right, feel right, smell right, whatever you want to describe it as. We want to be more than just house-trained Whereas the very same requirements of the law are now written in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who himself never lies, never steals, never commits adultery and is never greedy. Remember last week we spoke about the fact that the law speaks of the character of God. This is what our God is. This is who he is. This is what we give thanks to him for. And of course, the law enables us to recognize that. And therefore, we want to see this replicated in our own lives. And as he, Jesus, is in us, he expresses the law of God through us. And here's the thing. As that happens, our behavior changes. As Jesus works in us. Our whole life changes and everything about us becomes different. Our outlook changes, our relationship with God changes, and our love for the Lord Jesus Christ changes. Our hunger for Jesus changes because all of a sudden we are hungry for his word. We are hungry to be part of a fellowship in which the word of God is taught and preached and is a central part of everything that goes on within us and the end result of all of this is that we behave consistently with the law but the thing is is that the source is not the law working from the outside the source has now changed to the holy spirit the spirit of the lord jesus living within us and working out through us You see, some of us are so hard, our skin is so thick, that the law working from the outside doesn't make any headway. And our hearts remain the same. Because the only way the Scriptures tell us, and this wonderful section of Scripture explains to us so clearly, is that it is from the inside out. And yet so many of us try our level best to keep the rules, to keep the regulations, to keep what other people are saying to us. So Christ living in us means that we behave consistently with the law. Utterly consistently with the law. But the source is not the law working from the outside. It's the spirit of God working from the inside. Verse 17 reminds us the substance is Jesus Christ. It is the result of a changed heart. It is the result of the Holy Spirit coming and living within us. All the pseudo faith says... Is just be religious and keep the rules. Verse 23. Self-imposed religion. Self-imposed religion. Anyone happy with that? Self-imposed? Oh and by the way. It's much easier to have a self-imposed religion. It's much easier in a sense to try and keep the rules. To try and look right. At least it appears to be easier. It seems much easier than calling Jesus Lord as our text exhorts us to do so. And as we spoke last week, it's easy peasy compared to repenting and then experiencing the living God moving into our hearts and into our lives and the living Lord Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit living his life in us living his life through us. So we can see immediately the danger of legalism. Indeed, it's lethal. But many people fall for it. Many people are absolutely trapped by it. Often they don't realize that they're trapped by it. They've been born into it. They've been born into a situation of being told how to live in a certain way, and the truth is they know no difference. Auntie Lil was married to Uncle Reg, and Uncle Reg was the leading elder of the Brethren Assembly that my family grew up in. He was an elderly gentleman, he lived a very good life. He indeed knew and loved the Lord Jesus, was very much involved in evangelism. He died. And after a couple of weeks, Auntie Lil came and spoke to my grandfather and said, Alec, I now understand that all of my life I have been living off of Uncle Reg's faith. Because she never for herself understood the need to come in repentance to the Lord Jesus. But she lived a good life. She lived the rules. Everybody who looked at her thought she was perfect. And of course, That's one of the things that we have to be so careful of. Legalism has that effect and has that approach, and it will cause us to be house-trained. But has it changed our hearts and has it changed our lives? It'll cause us to do the right things, say the right things. It'll cause us to live some sort of controlled life. And the pastor of a church who's got a a congregation of house-trained people has probably got a fairly easy job. (laughs) Because they don't want to step out. They won't put a foot wrong. Certainly not in his presence. But the sad thing is, is that with legalism, we come to judgmentalism. The two go hand in hand. We can't help it. If we're legalistic, we'll be judgmental. And judgmental means that you start to think of the person that you see coming in and you say to yourself, they need to live like me. And I don't like it because they're not living like I am. They're not doing the things that I'm doing. They're not doing the things that I believe absolutely are the requirement, the minimum level. When you came in this morning, was there a sense of judgmental? that crossed your heart and in your mind. I can tell you that judgmentalism is very much alive and it's well in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And perhaps there's someone at this very moment that you've been thinking to yourself, they need to buck up. They've got to do things the way I want it done. Perhaps sadly it's at work in our own fellowship. We like to judge people by our standards. And by what we think is right and how we think you should live your life. And that's exactly what Paul is taking time and talking to us here in Colossians chapter 2. And he says in verse 16, he says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or new moon, uh, festivals or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance is in Christ Christ. Paul is saying, don't let people judge you by these things, by eating and drinking. Now, we don't know specifically what the issues were. Uh, We're not told that, but as we read um, from other letters in the New Testament, we begin to get a very clear picture that there were major issues. We know that there were issues of eating. Uh, In Rome, for instance, there was the vegetarian movement. And some of you might be vegetarians. I haven't got a problem with that. But we have to recognize that if that's the way that you feel that you should live, then that's absolutely fine and we respect that. Some of us only have the faith, as it were, to eat vegetables, and we believe that's the right thing. This is what Paul is saying. And some of you have the faith to eat everything. Now, it doesn't say anything in the Scriptures. I want you to notice that. It says everything. Now, it might be that you've got the same faith of me, which is to eat everything. If it's put on a plate in front of you, you'll eat it. Okay, and, and, and that's me. I've been to China. I know what I'm talking about here, you know. If the sun shines on its back, they'll eat it, <laughs> all right? And it can be quite interesting. He says everything, not anything. He says, now you do it before God, and don't judge those who are different. And he uses examples. And then in Corinth, uh, there was a problem of eating meat that had been brought to the market And it was meat that had been offered to idols, and perhaps people were feeling, This meat's been spooked. You know, what are we going to do about it? Have you ever thought about that yourself? It's a big issue, isn't it? And so on. We know that there was a problem with alcohol in Corinth. And even meeting together for the Lord's Supper, they were drinking too much, they were behaving badly. How would that be possible? And yet it's recorded for us in the scriptures that it was. And then Paul said to them, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Don't come to church and do this. Now we've got our pig roast looming, so we need to think very carefully about what we're saying. But food's a great opportunity, isn't it, to have fellowship together. And it's a joy to be able to welcome other people. And I hope we'll do the best we can to encourage as many people to come in and join with us. But whatever the particular details were, they're really beside the point. The general thing is that once we start making rules by which we measure and gauge our own Christian life, inevitably we become judgmental and we start looking at other people and we're watching carefully what they're eating and what they're drinking, and how they're behaving. And does it fit my pattern? And the scriptures warn us about this very, very carefully. It's the relationship that we have with God through his son, Jesus. It's a relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus, which is so important. The general thing is that once we start making rules by which we measure and gauge our own Christian lives, inevitably we judge other people. And then we take it a stage further and we seek to impose those rules on other people. Why should so-and-so do that when I can't? Now, every generation has its own um, uh, culture. We we understand that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm British. I don't know if anyone's noticed but there are some cultural differences in Britain. There's a young lady over there I need to uh, have a chat with later because she's smiling too much at this moment in time. She's perfecting her English accent, and it's embarrassing. But, Julia, thank you for your encouragement. And uh, every Christian culture seems to have, or well, Christian church seems to have its own culture as well. And Joe and I had a fascinating conversation uh, with John and Aggie. John and Aggie, I think, are at a wedding uh, today. Uh, And they were telling us about the wedding that they're they're going to today. But we had a great time. We went to their home, and uh, we sat out till late. And uh, the amount of food, ooh, it was tremendous. And and John and Aggie were telling us about Mennonite traditions. Now, you know, I don't know, there's not many Mennonites in Britain. I I think they bypassed the UK and came to North America. Uh, And it's an absolute eye-opener. And I say very graciously and very gently that a number of the traditions that they were speaking about were not even vaguely based on the word of God. But they've almost become sacred and holy. It's almost as though, you know, you've got to follow those, otherwise you're not part of the club. Now, when Billy Graham came to London in one thousand nine hundred and fifty four and I hasten to add i wasn 't there, but my father was, and he had three months of mission that took place in a place called Harringay in London, and it made a tremendous impact on the British Isles. My father and many of his friends came to faith in the Lord Jesus. it caused uh, eruptions in the Gospel hall in Eddington in Somerset because They were concerned about what was taking place. Very judgmental. And and my father came to faith in the Lord Jesus. Many of his friends did as well. And when Billy Graham was coming across uh, from America, he spoke, and I, I admire him for having the courage to do this he spoke to his wife and asked her and if there's any ladies here with uh, with lipstick on this morning don't worry about it you need to get to the end of the story okay uh, before you um, in any way judge me over what's being said okay and so he says to his wife Ruth he, he says um, um, would you please not wear lipstick because I know that red lipstick is going to upset the British Christians <laughs> who felt that lipstick at that time was very worldly it doesn't apply anymore but my mother would not wear lipstick because she was brought up, as I said, in the Brethren Assemblies in England, and, and she would never have dared to have worn lipstick. Girls that wore lipstick were censured and would have to sit behind the screen at the back of the gospel hall until it was deemed that they had repented sufficiently of their sin in such a way to allow them to come back into the fellowship again. And uh, as I said, uh, my Uncle Reg and my grandfather uh, were the leading elders at the assembly there, and, uh, and so on. And they knew that women, Christian women, did not wear lipstick, and it was only the Brethren Assemblies, uh, not only the Brethren Assemblies, but most Baptist churches at that time would have had the same attitude. But things have changed. Cultures and traditions do change. And so many Christian women in Britain wear lipstick today, maybe not in the Brethren Assemblies, but in, uh, in most churches. And by the way, apparently Ruth Graham agreed to compromise and she just chose a lighter shade of red, which I thought was the perfect solution to the, to the issue. Now, Charles Price, who's coming to speak in a few weeks' time and to lead us for a week, he recounts of a friend of his who tells of the day when he was in the Netherlands, and I can already tell some of you are beginning to quake in your boots of what's going to happen. I'm quaking in mine, even saying it, but we're going to go for it. And uh, so this friend is in the Netherlands and he's talking to some Christians about the worldliness of American Christians and British Christians and uh, judging them And these Dutch Christians were complaining about the way that American Christians and British Christians were dressing and how they didn't look right on Sundays and that American Christian women were all wearing makeup and they would all go to the movies, the families would, and they even had television sets in their houses. And Charles's friend went on to say somewhat quizzically, you know, they were so upset that the tears started to trickle down their eyes. And then it rolled off the end of the cigarette and dripped into their beer. (laughs) Okay? And at this point, British Christians and American Christians are saying, Oh, these Dutch Christians, this is terrible. How can you possibly smoke cigarettes and smoke them outside the church door as well? You know, they'd go apoplectic (laughs) if, if they saw this. Do you see where we're beginning to go? Back in the U.S. and Britain... Christians are lamenting over the terribly worldly standards of Dutch Christians who smoke and drink. No one who was a practicing Christian in Britain, when I grew up, would ever smoke a cigarette. And you wouldn't drink beer, at least not if anybody saw you. And it's been a a challenge for me because of the way that I was brought up. Charles Price goes on and he talks about his friend, uh, Stuart Briscoe, and I've heard Stuart Briscoe speak on a few occasions, very, very good minister, who tells of uh, a trip to Berlin and uh, it was at the invitation of an evangelical Lutheran pastor and the pastor says to him, would you like a beer? And Stuart Briscoe immediately says, no, thank you. And the pastor asks him, why not? And Stuart Briscoe replies, two reasons. I do not drink beer, firstly... I don't like beer. I wonder if he'd tried. And secondly, British Christians don't drink beer. Now this, as I said, was some years ago and things have changed. But that was the way it was. British Christians don't drink beer. And the Lutheran pastor says, okay, 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 here's a bottle of water. And then they come for the meal time and the Lutheran pastor is giving thanks for the meal and he says... Lord, we thank you for this food, and I thank you that I'm not a British Christian. (laughs) Things are different. Things are different in our cultures. You know, all these rules are fine. Have any rule you want in your own life for your own benefit. And there are some good reasons why some people have rules. If you come from a family where alcohol has been a problem and you remember your father treating your mother very badly because of alcohol, then it would be a good thing for you to have nothing to do with alcohol. If you have to judge somebody, then judge them by the fruit of the Spirit, which is going to flow out of them. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside us. And enables us to be fruitful believers. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't live within us. Then we can't be fruitful believers. But we allow that to flow out of us. Love. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Because We do need to see the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer. And if we don't see the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer, then we have every reason to be concerned about what somebody says. If you say, I belong to Jesus, and you don't live as though you belong to Jesus. If you're struggling with love, and you're struggling with joy, and you're struggling with peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, and there's no evidence of being hungry for Jesus in your life then inevitably there's a problem. Now, Colossians doesn't address this directly, but that is going to be the result of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, not the external imposition of the law. However hard you try to impose it from the outside, you will never, ever be able to live the Christian life that is genuine and authentic because it only comes from Christ living within you. You can try all you want. You'll go blue in the face. But it will not happen. So remember last week we pointed out that the overall problem that is being spoken of here in Colossians 2 is that some people were losing connection with the head. If we chop your head off, things are going to go horribly wrong. And as the body of Christ... Jesus is our head and if we lose connection with the head then things go horribly wrong for us because we're no longer living in intimacy with Christ we're no longer dependent upon Christ we're no longer in communication with Christ and we're no longer in communion with Christ and this by the way is not an automatic thing. It's the daily dependence and relationship with him, with the head. We need daily to communicate with Jesus, who is or should be our head. And when you lose connection with the head, often instead of jettisoning our Christianity, what we do is prop it up with rules and regulations. And you also become terribly critical of those who don't keep your rules and your regulations and Paul describes these rules in verse 8 he says as human traditions and then he says this fascinating statement and I wonder if you've ever noticed it before he says and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ And then he says in verse 20, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, let me say that again. If you've died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, and we could add dozens and dozens more. What is Paul saying? He's saying that living like this is actually living under the basic worldly principles of this world. Yes, it all sounds great. These rules sound great. It all sounds wonderful that you're a house-trained person, a church house-trained person. But the reality is, is that the way you're living, even though you're keeping the rules or trying to keep the rules, is actually only living in a worldly fashion. You see, contrary to the belief of many people around us, the scriptures here state that worldliness is not necessarily running out and doing lots of bad things. It's not necessarily running out and smoking and spending hundreds of dollars a month on cigarettes. It isn't necessarily taking drugs. It isn't necessarily wearing short skirts, going clubbing, having sex before you're married, and so on. That's what we may think being worldly is, and of course it is. No, Paul is saying that worldliness can also be living by the law. Yes, you can look good, but the reality is is that you're functioning on the principles of this world. No more, no different to anybody else for that matter. You've kept the basic principles of the world. What has gone wrong? You have not surrendered all to Jesus. And nor are you prepared to surrender all to him. Quite frankly, friends, any Tom, Dick or Harry can live by laws and regulations and traditions. In fact, I'm going to say it to you this way. It's easy. Because all you've got to do is to remember the laws, remember the rules, remember the traditions and just follow them. So our conversation about the Mennonite traditions in a sense proved this and it was fascinating to listen to my wife talk about the similarities with the way that she was brought up in the Netherlands, even to the point of similar sounding low German words to Dutch words that were used to describe certain things. I couldn't understand a word of it. It was all double Dutch to me. But it was interesting to understand that there was this link between legalism following the rules and living as you should. My wife and I met a young couple in this tent last Sunday. They're not here today. And they explained to us that they're really struggling trying to live the rules. In fact, they just can't see. I think the guy said, I've asked questions and no one gives me the answers. And it's the saddest thing when you meet people who are living the rules they're tired, they're thirsty, they're hungry because they've been living the rules, they're struggling to live. And they're feeling guilty when the time comes and they fail. And it's terribly sad because they're empty because the substance of Jesus Christ is not present in their hearts and in their lives. You see, instead of being connected to the head, as you receive him, so walk in him as Lord, being taught and living with the spirit of thanksgiving, instead of that, you just keep the rules. You just keep the laws. You look God on the outside. And here's the thing. To prove that you're keeping the rules, to prove that you're keeping the laws, you insist everyone else lives the same way that you do. That they're clones. That you're all clones. So the context is, There's a mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations and at last this mystery has been made known. Christ in you is the hope of being what you were created to be. You're created to portray the glory of God. Christ is your hope. Your natural state is sinful and you fall short of the glory of God. So Christ is your hope. But how's it going to work if you're a Christian? How does all this work out? Well, it works out this way. It's Christ is in you. And when he comes into your heart and into your life, he comes to stay. I want you to try and imagine this, that day that you welcome the Lord Jesus into your heart and in your life. And he comes in. And do you know what he does? He politely closes the door behind him. And then he does something else. He bars it and he locks it because he's never leaving you. He's never going to walk away. Even though you'll face tough times, difficult times, he's come to live in your life, to live in your heart, and he's going to live his life through you to the world around you. He's not leaving. You're sealed forever. But how do you get the juice out of the orange? By realizing as you received him, so live in him. I can't, he can. Amen. And we rejoice in that. So I depend on him and I surrender every day as Lord to him. As Lord, he teaches me from his word. Are we we teachable? Do we read his word? If I ask for a show of hands, who's not read their Bible this week? Would you put your hand up? You wouldn't have the nerve to, would you? Have you said thank you to God for something that you see in your life this week, that he's done for you, and you thank him for that? You know, it challenges me that churches today seem more like the church in Colossae than ever before. And this was a first-generation church. And this church, you could excuse it for making its big 101 mistake, couldn't you? And that mistake is the easiest mistake to make. It is to turn from looking to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, from looking to his strength, to looking at the rules, to looking at the laws To looking at the traditions of men. Of course some are good traditions. And we should keep them. But if we don't keep them in the right way. With the spirit of the Lord in our hearts. Then they are simply the traditions of men. And it makes this worldly. Maybe evangelical even from a reformed perspective. But it's still worldly. It's still living according to the basic principles of the world, rather, he says, than living in Christ. So we turn around and we have. Let's read it together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every Sunday you see it, it was chosen deliberately because it says it all. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge how penetratingly true your word is. We look into our hearts and we realize how easy it is to move away from living in a vital union with yourself in a moment by moment dependency upon you and intimacy with you and knowledge of you to propping ourselves up instead by rules and regulations And traditions that look good, feel good, and satisfy that we're doing well. We know in our heart of hearts, we know it's sterile, it's empty. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that from this morning, we will have a fresh love, a fresh zeal for you. A desire of new knowledge of you, the beginning of fresh intimacy with you. And that the explanation of the way we live will be nothing less than Jesus Christ himself living in us by the Holy Spirit and expressing himself through us. Make this real to us. I can't. But he can. We pray in Jesus' name.